Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. After the fact. So this is Movement Church. We normally meet, and we can't wait to gather in person again, but for right now, we are indefinitely online only. But when we meet in person, we are at the corner of 8th and Monroe on the east side of Newport, 415 East 8th Street. And we'd love for you to join us at 1030, whether it's online or someday, hopefully sooner than rather later, when we can gather in person. Uh, So I would hope that you have come ready to to celebrate with us, to look at some things. We're going to pray together. We're going to talk about some scripture together. We're going to celebrate communion together. And so we'd love for you to kind of get set up for that. But the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to do some praying together. We're going to do praying together that's a little bit different than what we typically do. I'm going to invite my wife Heidi up here because she's awesome. But also she's going to help me uh, read some prayers and go through some praying uh, praying together as well. So these are liturgical prayers, not part of a lot of our traditions. But this is something that throughout church history and churches around the world use these written prayers to come together and to kind of help us focus in. So we're going to do three different prayers. The first prayer, we just get to listen to Heidi as she prays, and we get to kind of agree in our minds as we hear it. The second prayer, there's a call and response, which I'll kind of lead us through right before we do that. And then the third prayer is going to be a kind of a spontaneous prayer time that Heidi and I are going to lead and would invite you to participate with us at home. So wherever you're doing right now, maybe just kind of get yourself situated, get yourself centered, and kind of focus in, maybe set some things down, kind of get the kids situated, that this is going to be a time to pray together. So Heidi, would you lead us in our first prayer? Okay. The first prayer that we're going to do is called the prayer for illumination. So will you pray with me? Almighty God, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds and bodies to the recreating power of your word, that we may see the world through the mind of Christ and live in the world as a foretaste of your new creation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, the second prayer, what's the second prayer called, Heidi? The prayers for intercession. The prayers for intercession. Intercession may be a new word for you, but intercession is essentially this, that we go to God on behalf of others, that we go to God asking for something to happen in someone else's life, that we go to God asking for God to act, to move in our life and life, the lives of those around us. And so in this prayer... This is the great thing about these prayers. Many of them are call and response, right? They they are interactive. And so what's going to happen is Heidi is going to read essentially a stanza, a couple sentences, right? And then there's going to be a pause. And in that pause, the congregation, which this morning is online, the community, the the crowd, the people there, are going to respond with a simple phrase. And the simple phrase is, Lord, have mercy. So Heidi will read a stanza of scripture and she'll kind of pause and she'll kind of look to me and I will kind of function as the congregation. But I would encourage you there at home to say this with me in response to the prayer that Heidi will read for us. Lord, have mercy. And we're going to do this, I think, five times. We're going to do this five times together. And at the end, we'll all say amen. And so I'm going to turn it over to Heidi. She'll read and then pause and we will respond with Lord, have mercy. Go ahead. Let's pray. 
In peace, let us pray to the Lord, saying, Lord, have mercy. For the church throughout the world, that all Christians may embody the reconciling love of Christ. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the nations of the world and its leaders, that all may dwell in peace and that justice may be tempered by mercy. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the planet Earth, God's gift to humankind, that all may share wisely its resources and conserve its riches for our children's children, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For our enemies, that we may regard them with the reconciling love made manifest in Christ, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who are sick, those who are suffering or in trouble, for the defenseless, for the weak, and for the poor, that they may be restored to wholeness of life and livelihood, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the lost, for those who have abandoned God, friends, or family, and for those who have never known such love, that they may come to know the joy of love's embrace. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Loving God, hear the prayers of your people for the sake of our world and our Savior, Jesus Christ, through whom we pray. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to go into just a, what we're just calling spontaneous prayer. And Heidi and I are going to kind of go back and forth. And there's, there's essentially four things that we want to be praying about. And this is very informal. And we're just going to kind of go with this as in the moment here. But just so you know, this is kind of how I want to outline our prayer time. Uh, I want to pray for four uh, different groups. First off, I want to pray for um, kind of the people on the front line of this. Uh, so I think about the healthcare professionals. I think about those that are that are in positions where they are helping. I, I pray for the helpers in that. I'm going to ask Heidi then would pray for the people that are experiencing financial disruption. Uh, so I think about all the people that maybe have, have been laid off, uh, the people that are in the service industry or manufacturing or construction or all the various tourism, all the various industries that have been affected uh, so profoundly uh, by this. So Heidi will pray for those that are experiencing financial disruption. Uh, I'm then going to pray for the church at large, uh, that this is an opportunity for the church at large to be praying, to be doing the ministry that Jesus has put in front of us. And then I'm going to ask Heidi to pray specifically for Movement Church, to pray for our families, to pray for those families that are at home and trying to figure out this new rhythm, the families that are in these, these experiences with perhaps uh, uh, frustration, disruption, anxiety, stress, all those sorts of things. So I'm going to be praying for our first line responders, the healthcare professionals, the first responders in general. I think about firefighters and law enforcement and EMTs and the like. And uh, I want to pray for doctors and nurses and the scientific community, all those sorts of people. Heidi will, will then pray for those that are experiencing financial disruption uh, at large as well. I'll pray for the church at large, and Heidi will pray for movement church. So we'll ping pong back and forth. I'll start. How do you close? Does that make sense, babe? It does. All right. This is the beauty of the spontaneous prayer. Uh, we kind of kind of go with it. So let's go with that right now. God, I can't imagine what it'd be like 
to be healthy and to put myself in positions intentionally where there's high risk that I would become sick. I can't imagine what it would be like to know that I would probably be carrying this to everyone I'm around. I, I can't imagine the, the longer hours, uh, the stress, the strain. And so, God, I pray for, for the doctors and the nurses and the, the medical technicians, uh, the, the hospital systems. I pray for those that, that respond to 911 calls. I pray for the, for the cops and the EMTs and the firefighters that show up in the midst of a crisis as they always do. I, I pray for those that are, that are kind of first responding in, in, in new and unique ways. I think about educators. I think about the teachers and the school staffs and the cafeteria workers that are, that are responding by showing up in ways that are, that are big and providing food for kids. I think about all the people, the mental health professionals, the healthcare professionals, I think about the scientific community that is, that is working to, to produce treatments and vaccines. I think about these people, and I pray for them. I pray for success for them. I pray for rest, for unworldly rest, that God, that you would somehow condense and give them profound rest in the midst of them not getting many hours of sleep. Father, I pray for their families, that they would be safe and that they would be protected. I pray for those that respond in the midst of this crisis. God, we read in your word that you will meet our needs according to the riches of your glory in Christ Jesus. And a lot of us, are feeling those needs financially right now. Whether it's for the loss of work, maybe it's for a job search that isn't looking like we thought it would look. Maybe it's financial strain from trying to get ahead and plan ahead with food and groceries and whatever the next couple months look like. God, you know our unique needs and you have promised to meet them for us. But God, when we look at the budget sometimes or when we look at our bank accounts, God, and we don't know where the next or when the next paycheck is coming, God, we ask that you would provide for us. We ask that you would provide for families who are listening to this call or who will listen later, that you would be their provider and that you would blow their minds with your providence and your um, your gifts to them, God. God, would you use us as, as a community to serve one another, um, to sense from your Holy Spirit that we, um, that we know if, when a need might be there and that you would help us to help as a community meet those needs. And God, would you give us peace in the unknown? Give us peace in the unknown of, of finances, wherever they are right now. And would you allow all of us, wherever we are in, the, in our finances right now, to find new ways to be generous, because you are generous. We love you, and we pray that you would continue to meet our needs, and we know that you will. God, we have seen that you have moved through your people for the last 2,000 years in the midst of crisis, maybe even more so in the midst of crisis, that the church, 
the global historical church has stepped up, has served, has been generous, has shared what they have, has have been ministers of peace, of comfort, have been ministers of reconciliation, of love, have been agents of grace and hope in the midst of the most dire of times. So God, I'm praying that the church would be the church. I'm praying that you would remind us as your New Testament, God, over and over again, we see calls for unity of purpose and unity of spirit. And so God, whatever the name on the church on the outside is, whatever language is spoken within, whatever place, whatever time, wherever and however they gather, may the church be the church. May the church bring forth your word, your love, and your truth, not just in their words, but in their actions, and in their attitudes, and in their presence. God, we know you hear our prayers. We know you hear our prayers. We pray for those who are sick. We pray for those who are at the highest risk. And we pray for those who are leading and those who are serving. In the midst of all of this, we believe, as your word says, that you work all things for the good of those who love you according to your purposes. I believe your purpose is for the church to take a step, the church to be the church, to carry your message forth, embolden us, empower us, and lead us into doing just that. God, we pray for the community of Movement Church. We know that church isn't a building. We know that church is people. And that whether folks are on the live stream right now or will log in later, God, we pray for anyone who is um, part of this community, whether here on Sunday mornings or just logging in for the first time. Jesus, you know those things that we are feeling and dealing with, even if we've never even voiced that to another person. God, I pray that you would be close to us in these moments where maybe we feel hopeless. Maybe we feel like we've just made it through week one and we don't know how the next week or two weeks or however long it is is going to be. But we know that this last week was hard. God, I pray for people in the Movement Church community that are struggling. God, I pray that you would allow us to find ways to uniquely care for one another through technology. That we would have the boldness to reach out, whether it's reaching out to ask someone how they're doing or reaching out to say, I need help. God, I pray that you would allow us to cast our anxiety on you because you care for us. God, I pray for the parents. I pray for parents who feel like the walls are closing in on them. Parents who don't know what to do with their newborn or one-year-old, two-year-old, or five-year-old, or preteen, teens, whatever. God, I pray that you would give us wisdom to know what to do next. 
and just grace upon grace upon grace when we don't get it right. God, would you take the pressure off? Would you take the pressure off whether we're, we're parents, we live by ourselves, we live with roommates, whatever our living situation is, we pray that you would take off the pressure to do this whole quarantine thing perfectly. Ultimately, we just ask that in this time that you would draw close to us. That perfection in a schedule or a routine or how we even function during this quarantine, that none of that all matters if we are connecting with you and finding ways to connect and love others. God, would you center us on that mission? Would we be people of peace to our families and to our communities? And we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, babe. Thank you, babe. Uh, I, we probably could end right there, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna move move ahead. We got a few other things that we want to talk about here uh, as well. It's it's fun to uh, to so thanks, babe, for doing that. Oh being a part of this, you'll do that here in a moment. Okay. So don't go far. <laughs> so far, I got another element that I want Heidi uh, to be leading us in a, as well. But um, that was great. Uh, I don't know if you heard the background noise with our kids. You know, talk about parenting. Heidi made that beautiful prayer about kids. Our kids are kind of running around right here as well. So I love the uh, seeing some things there. Uh, some comments here from the, the the feed. Seeing people who have joined. Just just welcome to you. Uh, it's good to see uh, uh, Ray Helmanak and your dad Ray uh, as well jumping on here. It's good to see you guys. I want to be clear that Tony and Lacey, I saw your comments pop up about the donuts right as we are praying. We'll allow it. That's okay. Uh, I will also let the record show that donuts were provided for the group that were here. So big thanks to, to Heidi for doing that as well. Uh, but we are kicking off our series this morning called Out of the Shadows and Into the Light. This is our Easter series, right? This is our Easter series. And we are so excited about this. So I've got a few things that I want to share with you to kind of help us move forward in this. And this isn't going to be as long as, my, as a typical sermon. It's going to be a little bit different, and that's okay because a lot of things are a little bit different. But the point of this story, or this series that we're going to be looking at, is we're looking at the story of the Passion Week, of Jesus going to the cross, really looking at some of the last few hours before Jesus goes to the cross and what happens moving forward to, of course, Easter Sunday. And what we're going to look at are some of these peripheral characters, people that are kind of on the, the edge, kind of on the sidelines, and we're going to see what happens when they step into the story. And so we're going to look at one of these stories, one of these characters, and we're also going to look and give you a challenge about how you can participate in this whole incredible uh, message, this idea, this Easter message of moving into the light. Okay, we almost lost the camera there. That was great. That was my daughter. She's cute, but she's a klutz. All right, so we're, we're back here. We're good. Hopefully, uh, you guys are doing uh, okay now. Everything's good technically. All right. All right, so Heidi. Heidi, uh, Heidi's going to read our scripture again. I told her not to go far, and so she has uh, complied very well with that. So Heidi is going to read a section of scripture, and Rich is going to post this in, this in the stream as well, in the comment stream. And this is from Mark chapter 15. It's a longer stretch. It's verses 1 through 15. So Mark 15.
15, 1 through 15. Now, this, our first character, is this interesting guy. Some would call him a revolutionary. Others would call him a terrorist. This man is one of the first persons, first people, to be literally saved by Jesus. So Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 15. Heidi, when you're ready. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking him and beating him. They blindfolded him and said, Prophesy to us, who hit you that time? And they hurled all sorts of terrible insults at him. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. Again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barnabas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release you to the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Thanks, babe. Thanks, babe. Um, this man. You can call him Barabbas. <laughs> that, that, that's a fine pronunciation. I, I, in my head, it's Barabbas. So however you want to roll. That's how I roll Barabbas. I'm not throwing my wife under the bus. I say Barabbas. But this Barabbas, he has some things in common with Jesus. Rome saw both Barabbas and Jesus as an enemy. They were both preparing and ultimately would with Jesus. They were preparing to kill both of them. They both understood what it was like to have a popular following. Barabbas was this leader of an insurrection. He had turned to violence. And that is where Jesus and Barabbas differ. In Barabbas' mind, he, he loathed the occupation by the Romans. There was nothing in his mind that could solve this other than violence. In fact, we see Jesus interacting with some groups that might have been aligned or even were aware of Barabbas. There's this group called the Zealots. And there's this other Simon, not Simon Peter of the Twelve, but this other Simon in the Twelve Disciples who is called a Zealot. So it's reasonable to assume that this Simon was part of one of those kind of insurgent, revolutionary, terrorist groups against the Romans. Their name kind of came from this knife that was easy to conceal, kind of had an S shape to it, that they would stab Roman guards in the midst of a crowd and then be able to slip away in the confusion and the chaos. And so Jesus was very aware of this 
Barabbas, or at least aware of people like him who thought violence was the only way they could go forward. See, Barabbas kind of saw himself as a giant slayer, right? He was probably a Jewish man. He was a Jewish man. He was somebody who heard those stories. So in his mind, he thought probably of David and Goliath. He was the David, this righteous warrior, who was going to take on the Goliath that is Rome. But of course, he had missed the point. So he's going after Rome and he's leading this insurrection. There's some sort of uprising and it doesn't work. And he finds himself in prison. And not just any prison, but a Roman prison. And he knows his sentence is clear. He knows what is coming. See, the Romans had worked out very effective ways to kill people. Not in the way that it would bring a a quick death or a painless death. No, this would be an execution that was designed to be agonizingly long. This is an execution that was designed to bring punishment on someone. It was an execution meant to be done in public so everyone else would get the message. When you mess with Rome, this is where you end up. You can imagine, you can imagine the anguish that Barabbas must have felt. The anguish of sitting in a jail cell, waiting the inevitable. Knowing that as horrible and as excruciating and as literally suffocating as a crucifixion would be, he knew that the torture and the punishment began before someone was nailed to a cross. He knew there would be beatings, there would be whippings, there would be humiliation. Barabbas knew this was coming. So there he is in the anguish of his jail cell, the isolation and the quiet of this. And he probably hears a commotion outside. And he hears this crowd forming. He hears kind of the the, the hum of the people. And in this commotion, he can make out that they're starting to chant something. They're starting to chant something. And they're chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so Barabbas had to assume that this is it. That the people were demanding justice now. And the Romans were ready to oblige. Just then, the cell doors probably flew open. And as aggressively and as violently as Barabbas had been thrown into his jail cell, he is now just as aggressively hauled out. And I picture in my mind's eye that he's hauled out and he's kind of thrown into the middle of a courtyard. And there's people all surrounding him. And there's the Roman officials there. And there's the religious leaders there. And he's there. And in this moment, as he's bracing for the worst, the guards unshackle him. And tell him that he's free. And I can see the crowd kind of coming in and patting him on the back and glad-handing and hugging and their smiles and their celebration because the person they wanted freed was freed. See, there was this tradition. There was this tradition where, where the Romans would kind of throw a bone to the people. The Romans would often do this in their occupied lands. They would honor and they would allow the people to celebrate their local customs and holidays and even religion. 
And so they knew that Passover, this central celebration of God's providence and God's deliverance, was this crucial cornerstone moment for the Jewish people. And so they said, in this moment of celebration, as crowds from all around swell and gather there in Jerusalem, we will set one of our prisoners free. We'll throw him a bone. And maybe they'll keep those masses from turning against us. And so in this moment, Barabbas starts to put things together. He has been the one whom Rome has chosen to set free. He is the one that the people declared that they wanted to be set free. And I can imagine that just then, he catches a glimpse of Jesus. I imagine that things start to click in place. He says, well, this is the one they're talking about. This is the one, this is the king of the Jews. This is that man who, maybe even Barabbas saw Jesus in action. I would imagine he at least heard of him. This is the man who taught with such authority. This is the man who led people. This is the man who performed those miracles. And this guy, and not me, is getting what I deserve. So he stands there, newly freed, shocked by the moment. The guards who had freedom turned their aggression, their anger. You can imagine the crowd, everyone being amped up. The adrenaline is flowing. They turned their anger towards Jesus. Because the punishment, the process of killing someone by the Roman standard starts before the cross. They would have these whips. They have found these in archaeological digs. They have found these being written about. They would have these whips, these tassels made of leather. And at the end, it would be frayed. And at the end, they would tie in pieces of rock or bone or even glass. So that when the afflicted was whipped, was flogged prior to this, that tassel would grab, would sink into the back and pull. So Barabbas stands there. He stands there and he watches is this man who he knows is innocent, or at least he knows this man's a lot more innocent than he is. And he sees him be condemned. He sees him tortured. He knows where he's going. What changes with Barabbas in that moment? What does Barabbas do? What now for him? We don't really know. We could have a lively debate. We could talk about all the different ways that Barabbas could respond in that moment. But it's interesting. This central moment of the Bible, and definitely of the Gospels, those that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the New Testament, where we read the accounts of Jesus, the climactic moments begin here at Good Friday when Jesus goes to the cross. And then everything beyond this in the New Testament, all these letters written to churches and individuals, one of the big themes they try to figure out is what is happening here? Why does this matter? And there's all sorts of different theories and analogies and metaphors that are all true, right? Because this is a cosmic thing that goes beyond our understanding. So so we have writers like Paul and Peter and John and James trying to make sense of this. 
And so they come up with these metaphors and these analogies. How do we explain this? Because they're writing to a bunch of people who are new followers of Jesus, new churches. They're trying to make sense of this. They're trying to answer that question, what now? We read about the teachings of Jesus. We read about the life of Jesus. We read about the death of Jesus. We read about the resurrection of Jesus. So what now? To answer that question, we have to first understand what happened there. And one of the big ways, one of the common ways, one of the big themes or metaphors that's used to describe there in the New Testament what happens there on the cross is simply this. That when Jesus went to the cross, he went there in our place. That somehow the sacrifice of Jesus took our place maybe you've heard this argument from people like me or other churches or other pastors or other followers of Jesus this idea that we can always find someone pick your favorite historical example pick someone you know that we are better than that we have a higher moral code that we have more integrity yes you can find those people of course you can but the standard is not the people the standard is God the standard is Jesus If Jesus is the standard of perfection, are we getting there? No, we're not. And this is what I think is so important for us as followers of Jesus. If you've said yes to Jesus, you know this. That your only way to be made whole, to find forgiveness and truth and that grace, is to be made right with God. And that happens, that happens on the cross. One of the things that I'm learning... One of the things I'm learning, the further I go as I follow Jesus, is that gap between Jesus and I is growing. And my appreciation for what Jesus has done for me is growing. But the first person that happens for is Barabbas. Murderer. Terrorist. Someone with blood on his hands. Gets set free. And Jesus takes his place in essence we we didn't do the same things that Barabbas did but we are Barabbas you could ask that question what happens to Barabbas after this does he embrace this and live a life differently or does he just retreat more into bitterness and cynicism and anger and violence I can see both playing out but that question is completely secondary to this question. What are we going to do with this? The better question is, what happens with you taking this step? What happens if you are moving forward? See, Barabbas didn't have a choice. This forgiveness was given to him. This forgiveness was put there on him. And that for us, we have to understand that in the same way this forgiveness thing has happened Now the question is, are we going to accept it? Jesus has already stepped up. Jesus has already forgiven. Jesus has already shown us this incredible act of love. The only question now is whether or not we're going to accept it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would show us the truth of Easter. Easter.